Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Hummus Tailgate Party. We are back with an off-season March Madness episode. Uh, thanks for listening, tuning in, everybody, once again. I am your host, Thomas Jackson, and I can't wait to get this tournament underway. I've been working pretty hard the past couple nights since Selection Sunday when the brackets came out to prepare uh, 11 pages of notes on my Google Doc for the tournament. It's one of my favorite things to do every year is deep dive into this uh, March Madness tourney. And even though college football is the subject of this podcast and my favorite sport overall, uh, there's no better sporting event in the world than March Madness for me. So I've been really looking forward to and really planning on doing this podcast ever since I got this thing started. I knew even though it was a college football thing, I couldn't resist putting out a little content for March. So um, with that being said, we will get us underway. So kick us off, Dindy. Thomas Jackson, beautiful podcast from Denver. Okay, so first things first, we have a tournament challenge group on ESPN.com. Um, it's called Hummus Tailgate Party. If you just search it in the tournament challenge section of the website, you should be able to find it. There's no passcode. No entry fee, so free to join. Uh, so if you're listening to this and you haven't already put your bracket in there, please do so. I think we've already got 25, make that 29 people and counting on Tuesday night. So already a bigger turnout than the bowl challenge. I love to see it. Uh, it's one of the beautiful things about March is even if you're not a huge hoof fan, everyone can get interested in making a bracket and getting involved in, in the madness. So... Um, feel free to share that around your friends and everything. It's uh, going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. And please, if you enter in that, if your ESPN username doesn't make it clear, either your bracket or your ESPN account name should have your name, your actual name in there somewhere so I can see who you are. Uh, there was a person who came in second place. I hope they're listening. Second place in the bowl challenge. And for a while, I thought they were going to catch me and win. Their name was V-A-S-I-C-E-K-03. And I tweeted and put on Instagram, trying to find who this was in case they won so I could know who to send a prize to. And I never heard from anyone. And sure enough, they're in the bracket challenge. So if you're listening to this, please text me, tweet me, whatever. Let me know who you are. And that goes for everyone else. Just try to make it clear who you are so I can kind of keep track of who's who. With all that being said, I'll give you a little breakdown of this episode, what we're going to be covering. So first, we're going to be looking at the kind of big picture view of this March Madness real quick, just because it's the first truly normal March that we've had since 2019, which is hard to believe, but the past couple years have been either canceled or severely altered due to COVID. So I think we have finally returned to normalcy in uh, the sports world, which is really relieving and cheers to that. Uh, Then we're going to be talking about some general kind of strategies and philosophies for filling out your bracket. Everyone has, you know, their different little personal uh, ways of attacking the thing, which I always think is a lot of fun to discuss. Then touching on some big storylines going into this tournament, um, the national championship contenders and their odds set by Vegas and what I think about all of those. And then finally, we'll go through and do a region by region breakdown um, of all the interesting games in round one and some, you know, potentially intriguing matchups that we could see down the road. 
as I'll touch on more in depth later. I have not filled my bracket out, so I'm not going to have any picks for you tonight. I always do that on Wednesday night. Um, that's just kind of part of my personal little system, but I've got some pretty good notes, pretty in depth about, uh, all the major players in each region and who I think I can make it out. So if you haven't filled out your bracket yet, looking for a little advice, hopefully I can shed some light on a few things that'll help you get all the way through the 64 games, I believe it is. So yeah, uh, we'll move on to the first topic here. So um, it's been a long time since we've had a normal March Madness. Uh, three years ago, March of 2019, when Virginia was crowned the king, just a year after they lost to the UMBC team in probably, not probably, the biggest upset in college basketball history, one of the biggest upsets in sports history. Um, that was when I was a senior in college, which, you know, it's been a long three years um, since then with everything that's gone on, but 2020, obviously, that tournament got canceled. I have a vivid memory of when things really shut down in the sports world because it was on the Thursday of conference championship weekend. Some, like the Ivy League was first, and then some uh, conferences already canceled their tournaments before the SEC did. I think it was like the SEC and the Big East, maybe that were kind of the last couple standing and Alabama and Tennessee were supposed to play the very first game in Nashville in 2019. And I was at work in my cubicle listening to the pregame, <laughs> Chris Stewart and, and Brian Pasick on the, on the radio. And the teams were both out there warming up when the SEC called it off. And it was just, at that point, it was just so spooky and no one knew what was going to happen. But at that point, it was pretty clear we weren't going to have a March Madness, which, you know, for those of us who are lucky to not have more serious problems arise from the pandemic, that was kind of a big gut punch and made it feel very real very quickly um, when when the tournament got canceled. But then in 2021, we played the whole tournament with pretty minimal disruptions, although there were a couple of teams that had to forfeit, I believe, VCU and maybe one other uh, last year. But they had their tournament bubble in Indianapolis, and we still had the tournament. They had limited crowds there in Indy, and it was, I mean, you know, way better than nothing. Don't get me wrong, but it still just wasn't wasn't normal with... Um, with the limited crowds and you know the games not being spread out all over the country but it was it was a huge step in the right direction and you obviously take that seven days a week over uh what happened the previous year um so yeah it was you know thankfully no major disruptions especially once the tournament really got going this year, uh, we're back full throttle. There have been pretty minimal um, COVID disruptions. There have been a few here and there across teams across the country, but uh, you know, everyone everyone's pretty much back to normal. And it, it feels fitting that the Final Four will be in New Orleans because that's just going to be a great party where everyone can go down and really enjoy themselves and celebrate being uh, back to normal. So that's going to be, that's always a great, great host city for e any major sporting event or concert or parade, but especially the first March Madness that's back normal in three years. It's, it's, it, you know, probably couldn't be in a better place. 
So now I want to touch on some bracket strategies. Everybody's a little bit different. There's so many different factors that can go into this thing. It's really interesting to me to talk to everybody who's, you know, especially a little bit more serious about filling out their brackets and like to like to kind of get into the weeds and see what their strategy is because I think every you know, there's nothing better than even if it's in a free pool or a $5 pool with your friends or family there's nothing better than having a bracket and you see that it's in the 99th percentile of all brackets scoring on espn.com and you're ranking you know 4000th nationally out of 13,000 bracket or 13 million brackets it's it's a great feeling it's a lot of fun I've uh, been lucky enough to get to that point a couple of times, but it's been a while, so I'm expecting a good bounce back year here now that everything's normal again. Um, But anyway, uh, there's, you know, chalk is the most basic, most safe, most popular way to do it. That's just where you basically pick the higher seeds the whole time. Um, you know, it's not super exciting when you show your friends or coworkers your bracket and you have like three one seeds and a two seed in your final four. But, you know, I mean, it's a safe approach as opposed to just going crazy and picking upsets everywhere. I mean, someone who picks a very chalky bracket is going to score better than someone who picks a super upset ridden bracket, you know, unless you're just very, very lucky or, you know, very, very smart, I guess, on some odd years. But that's definitely the most popular way to go about it is when in doubt, just pick the higher seed. You know, we'll we'll talk more about the seeding thing later. Um, another popular thing that people take into account is recency bias. So a lot of people, and I'm not going to lie, myself included, I guess I should have started with this, this, this disclaimer earlier. I pretty much watch my team, Alabama, and kind of keep an eye on the SEC for the whole season, but I don't really tune in to the national college basketball scene at least not super attentively until like after the Super Bowl. And then the month of February, things start to really heat up. You know, I mean, you, you see who are the players and who are the pretenders and everything. Um, but a lot of people don't start paying attention. Like I, like when I do and I, after the Super Bowl or even later than that, like in conference championship week, people, you know, really start to tune in. Even the most casual of fans finds, find that finds that week a lot of fun. Um, so recency bias, you're kind of writing the hot teams from the end of the season. And this is something that I do, uh, myself, although I try to, balance it out because I used to go super, super hard with anyone who won their conference tournament. You know, I would just, I would send them to the second weekend automatically, no questions asked in my bracket. And it's not as easy as it, it may sound just because someone goes on a run in their conference, you know, maybe they just get a super hard matchup in the first or second round and then their season is squashed just like that. There are teams where it's a great example uh, last year, Oregon State, who was not anywhere close to making the tournament, won the Pac-12 tournament, got the automatic bid, and then rode their momentum all the way to the Elite Eight, which was, I think they were a 12 seed. That was a really unbelievable run. 
super improbable. I think I bet against them every single round and uh, yeah, they cost me some money. But Georgetown is the flip side where last year they had no business being in the big tournament until they won the Big East uh, in Madison Square Garden and then they got absolutely killed in their first round game against Colorado. So, you know, not both of those teams were not supposed to make the tournament until they went on a run and got their automatic conference bid. And then one team was a game away from the final four and one team wasn't even close to the second round. So it can really go either way. Those are two very extreme examples, but that can just show you how it goes, especially when it's a team who hasn't been great all year and they just suddenly catch fire. It's very, very difficult to predict that, but it is fun to kind of ride the hot hand. So Virginia Tech is a really good example for this year. They probably didn't have to beat Duke to get into the NCAA tournament in the ACC championship game, but they did. Now they're an 11 seed playing Texas in the first round, which is a uh, really intriguing matchup. And a lot of people are going to ride Virginia Tech just because they just went on this amazing ACC tournament run and... You know, I could see them losing in the first round or getting to the second weekend. It's just, it's very hard to tell. But, you know, an argument against the argument for is oh, they got momentum. You see a lot of teams get hot in January and then tail off. And that's never a promising sign when you're going into the big dance. Um, but also, the argument from the other side is that, well, Virginia Virginia Tech just had to play like four games in a row, and they might be a little gassed before things even get started in the tournament that really matters. And, you know, I mean, they're college kids, they're amazing athletes, so I don't know how much how much truth that really holds, but it's it's something to consider versus a team who maybe won a game or two, but then they got a few extra days to rest and get their mind right and prepare for whoever they may be playing. So you just never know. Um, that's just kind of a personal decision, but that's a huge, huge factor in people picking, um, picking especially lower seeds to go on runs. The next one is historical bias. Uh, teams and coaches you know some do better than others in the tournament coaches especially and you associate that with the program they're coaching um as you know and when they're an underdog you really take notice some of the more blue blood teams that i have always leaned on are michigan state and unc i've probably picked those two teams especially unc more than any other team to win the national championship. And while I've probably only gotten it right once or twice in my life, because it's so damn hard to actually get the winner right, <laughs> even if it seems easy before, like last year with Gonzaga, obviously didn't happen. Those two teams, you just, you trust the program and the coaches and the system. You trust they're not going to lay an egg on the first weekend, which if you're picking a champion, you know, your bracket's not going to be ruined if they don't win the championship, but you can't have them losing in the round of 32 other teams UConn is obviously notorious for making Cinderella runs um you know not like they're like a double digit seed going super deep but they have made several runs as like a five seed or whatever when people didn't really um expect them to go deep and I happened to catch scent of of them getting hot and when they won the Big East a couple of those years and rode them to the top of my bracket charts and I've I've just always 
been keen of them ever since then uh, because, you know, when a team like that is the reason that you win your groups, you don't forget it, and you honestly grow an emotional attachment to them. It's really fun, so I've always liked UConn for that reason. More recently, Villanova, they're a super trustworthy team um, that I've never really cashed in on in bracket leagues, but I know a lot of others have. Butler is a better example of a super underdog that has just wrecked havoc in the tournament. And, you know, after their first year when they were that close to beating Duke on that Gordon Hayward half-court shot, uh, you know, they, they made, they've made several deep runs since then. More recently, Loyola Chicago has kind of been the national sweetheart underdog with Sister Jean and the whole thing. Um, and they're a 10 seed going into this tournament playing Ohio State. So we'll, you know, we'll see what they do. But they're always uh, a matchup. They knocked off the number one seed, Illinois, who was the hottest team going into the tournament other than Gonzaga, I guess. But they knocked Illinois off in the second round last year as an eight or a nine. So once you, if you, if you kind of get on those trains, or even if you don't, and you just see them making these runs, and they do it a couple of times, then you just have these historical biases towards these teams, where you just trust them, even if it doesn't have much to do how the team is this year. You just kind of trust the process that goes on in those in those systems. Next is rivalry bias, where you fade your rivals no matter what. Me, as a passionate fan, <laughs> I am certainly uh, guilty of this. Um, but, you know, that's just, that's kind of a, a personal thing, depending on how your rival is. I will not be picking Jacksonville State in the first round this year, as much as I would like that upset for the Cox to pull it off. Uh, not going to happen. You know, even if Auburn's been struggling a little bit down the stretch, I'm, I'm still trying to win this bracket league. So I got to, I got to give them the respect that they've earned. But a couple years ago, when they made the final four run, I did pick New Mexico State in that 5-12 game and Damn, I was close to pulling that one off. But, you know, UNC fans, I'm sure they have a hard time picking Duke and vice versa for all the great college college basketball rivalries. But, um, yeah, that's just that's a personal decision. And I've never had to really deal with it super, super intensely until Auburn got really good here a few years ago. So I'm trying to figure that one out for myself. Um, next there's the advanced analytics, which over the past, I don't know, decade, 15 years has just risen and risen in popularity. It really started in basketball, um, and this spread to other sports like football, um, where it's really entered the forefront of even the casual sports fan. It's impossible not to hear about some type of advanced stats on broadcasts and everything nowadays. Ken Palm is the most famous and you know popular uh, advanced analytic ranking it just it mostly measures teams off of their offensive and defensive efficiencies which is just a more accurate way to really rate how good a team's you know different sides of the courts are as opposed to just how many points did you score and how many points did you let up so a lot of people like to take that into account um Vegas lines are a great way to see, um, going back to kind of the seeding thing I mentioned earlier, just because a team is a 12 seed playing a five seed, you know, I, I know to the, 
very casual fan that looks like, oh, that would be a huge upset if the 12 beats the 5. But really, maybe it's like an okay, like bottom of the top 25 5 seed playing one of the best mid-majors in the country. And even though it looks like a big upset on the bracket with those numbers next to their names, a lot of times Vegas will have that as a three-point spread, which is not a whole lot at all. So, you know, that's a great way to look at those lines and kind of see, you know, where the more likely upsets upsets are, because not all five versus 12 games are created equally. Some are a lot more likely to go to the 12 than others. So that's a good way to kind of seed out what's maybe a smarter place in the bracket to take a risk than others. There's uh, geographical and conference biases, um, you know, just kind of coming from a football perspective. Obviously, SEC fans like to beat their chest, deservingly so. And that's the same thing in college basketball. Um, even though the ACC's down this year, they're traditionally a great conference. The Big Ten's always great. Big 12 is normally very good. SEC's been very good as of late. Um, so, you know, if you're in a certain conference that's historically maybe at the top of the game, then you might be more inclined to take teams from that conference over others. Now getting into the more trivial ones, um, if you're just an ultra casual fan that doesn't watch a second of hoops all year, um, but likes to fill out a bracket and get in on the fun, you know, I know my lovely mother always likes to pick based off of the mascots. I had to teach her how to pull up the bigger view of each team's little logo tonight when she was filling out her bracket so she could see who to pick and uh, some of the games that she had questions about. Uh, the team colors can make a difference, you know, the nicknames, you name it. And last but not least, shout out to my girl Scout. You can also let your dog pick for you. Just hold a treat in each hand. Maybe the favorite is represented in the right hand and the lower seed is represented in the left hand. And whichever uh, fists the dog boops first, hey, that's your pick. If you're really stuck, you know, it happens. I've seen people do it with goldfish, cats, you name it. So... Anyways, the skin a cat. Um, that's just, I'm sure there's more out there, but those are all the ones that came to mind for me. So, what do I do? My system has evolved over the years. I mean, I've always loved ever since I can remember, kind of deep diving into into this bracket whenever it comes out, and just really <laughs> filling up my whole week with uh, with finding the best information I can to try to have the best bracket that I can. I love it. Um, and it's gotten, you know, my system has gotten more and more uh, refined over the years, even though the results of my bracket may say otherwise, you know, that's just the, the madness of it. But <clears throat> I've always loved So like I said earlier, when I started, when I was really little, I would always look at the conference champions from the tournaments. And I would usually ride those teams who had a lot of momentum. And a lot of times you can find a UConn, that's a five seat, not this year, but in previous years, that maybe they just get super hot. And if they can keep riding that, like possibly Virginia Tech this year as the 11th seed, they can make some serious noise and upset some big, big players in the tournament. Other times, like Georgetown last year, it doesn't work so well. So you just have to have to feel it out for yourself. Um, you know, after that, I kind of got into more stats, especially when I discovered Ken Palm. That was like, you know, I learned a whole new language. Um, you know, trends as far as oh, these teams have been 
good lately, like a Loyola, if you were to ride them into the Sweet 16 or something this year, then you're kind of on that recent trend of Loyola just really, really hanging in there every year against quote-unquote, you know, better or more favorited opponents. Um, And historical examples, you know, like my my, my Duke, um, I really don't ever pick Duke to go that far, and I'll I'll talk about it why, talk about why that is later, but like the UNC and the Michigan States, that I just really trust those teams to not let me down, even though this year they are both pretty low seeds, so having to get a little more creative than I normally would if they were both like one or two seeds. Um, my big thing is that I don't fill out my bracket until Wednesday night. Like I think I already mentioned there was one year they're in cause you know, everyone, when you, the bracket comes out, it's really tempting to get the Sharpie and just crank through it really quick on Sunday night. It's exciting. It's fun. I totally get it. There was one year, probably about a decade ago, I forget, um, but I was writing Syracuse. They probably won the Big East or ACC, whatever they were in at the time. And I was writing them like maybe all the way to the championship game, but they were a five seed maybe, I don't know. And I was was really banking on them to shoot me up in the polls. Um, And then I had my whole bracket set, felt great about it on Sunday or Monday night. And then at some point during the week, maybe Tuesday, they had a bunch of players get suspended. And then I had to second guess myself. And I don't think they were suspended for the whole tournament, but I just, you know, didn't like the juju coming out of the program and didn't know how risky that could be. So I changed my bracket and I don't even remember how it turned out, but I just remember thinking like, okay, this is like, I hate having to second guess myself and scratch erase picks and then think like, well, that's going to really suck if I change my pick and then my first pick actually wins this game. So I I try to avoid that the best I can, any second guessing, because if I were to already have a bracket made, I would be second guessing myself into an absolute craze until the tournament started and the brackets locked in. So I wait until Wednesday night, sit down with a couple beverages and just crank it out and then go to bed, wake up and the tournament starts Thursday morning. So that's just what I do. I like to on Sunday night, I'll start watching the bracket shows and stuff. And those are honestly aren't really that informative, but you know, they're entertaining right when the bracket comes out, seeing the graphics and everything. Um, but you know, especially on Monday and Tuesday, I'll just start consuming every article and podcast and, you know, social media threads, whatever I can to try to get as much information as possible. By the time it's Tuesday night or Wednesday, my head is kind of spinning with all the information that I've taken in. Uh, but that's kind of how I like it. And then on Wednesday night, I'll try to take a deep breath. Like I said, relax a little bit and just, you know, decide it once and for all. So I've kind of got an idea of the teams I might have in my final four right now, but I'm going to take tomorrow and sleep on it and listen to a couple more podcasts and get some more information. And then we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes on Wednesday night. So I'm excited for that uh, to come around. It's always nice to finally hit submit after you've been kind of driving yourself crazy about it for the last few days, but Hey, it's all fun to me. So some big storylines for this tournament. I promise I will not harp on this for too long because everyone's been beat over the head with a baseball bat with the Coach K stuff, but it has to be be noted and said. So he's been at Duke since 1980. This is obviously his final ride, his 36th NCAA tournament appearance. 
uh, disappointing into the season after they lost to UNC at his Cameron farewell party and then lost to a really, really relatively easy uh, ACC tournament uh, eventual champion in Virginia Tech. Uh, Duke seems like a lock to win that one because UNC's down, Virginia's down, but V2 got hot and Duke could not rise to the task in the ACC final. They've got five, possibly five first-round draft picks on their team, so they're all super young. You know how it goes with these Duke type of programs. They just have so much turnover. They're full of 18 and 19-year-olds. They're all as talented as anyone in the country, but they just don't have the experience and the gel that a lot of other older squads do that generally help teams a lot in March. So they've got a couple lottery picks on top of that. Um, but you know, it's every team is going to be going at them really hard this year. That's always the case because they're Duke and, you know, I mean that, that needs no explanation, but with this year trying to be the ones that end coach K's career, I mean, that just adds so much to it. I feel like for these other teams, uh, but they're going to be getting everyone's best shot and then some with a cherry on top. This, this team is really young, and they've stre- struggled down the stretch, uh, you know, closing out games and stuff. If they can if they can figure out a way to gel, and, you know, it, <laughs> Duke fans would have liked that to already happen by now, but they could be the most talented team in the country on paper. So their ceiling is as high as anyone, I believe. Uh, for example, they beat Gonzaga on a neutral court in November when they were really, really young. Um, and Gonzaga actually has a couple older guys that Duke, you know, isn't as blessed with, but they've just been really susceptible to giant upsets in the tournament in the past decade. Uh, in 2012, they lost to the 15 seed Lehigh as it, uh, when Duke was a two seed and that team, I was looking back at the stats, CJ McCollum was actually on that and he went for 30 points in that game. And then in 2013 or 2014, when Duke was a three seed, they lost to Mercer, who was a 14 in the first round. So, you know, it's not often, but they have, they have had a couple of these just monster bracket busting upsets, um, in the past and with this young squad who's been struggling to find their squad, you know, I mean, I don't think it'd surprise anybody to see them in the elite eight against Gonzaga, but also just the history there and how this team has struggled down, down the stretch. Eh, it's, it's hard to see, to be super confident in Duke, but Hey, if their talent clicks, they can, they can beat anyone. Uh, speaking of Gonzaga earlier, they are the overall one seed. Once again, this is the fifth one seed in their program's history and an unbelievable run of four out of the last five years. Although, as everyone knows, they do not have a national title to go along with all of that seeding flair. Um, they've made it to the t- title game two times. They lost to UNC back in uh, 2017, 2018, and... Most recently, last year to Baylor when Gonzaga got served its only loss of the season in the national title game. 
they're possibly more rounded, more well-rounded than last year. Um, they lost Jalen Suggs. I think he was the fifth overall pick in the NBA draft to the Magic. But they have Chet Holgram, who is the sensation, seven foot, one hundred ninety pounds stick of a stud, uh, playing center for them. Um, they lost three games this year. Uh, two of the three teams who beat them are actually in their quadrant, which is a pretty tough draw. Although the Zags probably feel a lot better about those games now than they did back in November and December when Duke and Alabama beat them. Um, but still, you know, they, they, they've got a couple foes that have, have taken them down. Although Duke and Bama are both on the bottom half of that quadrant where Gonzaga is obviously on the top as the one seed. So they wouldn't even see Duke and Bama until the elite eight. And I personally don't think either of those teams will make it there. Uh, you know. Everyone, Gonzaga is a pretty polarizing topic nowadays because they've had those 5-1 seeds. They've been at four out of the last five years. So some people think they're due. Some people just don't trust them at all, especially after last year when they were the clear-cut number one team in the country going into the national title game undefeated and just getting annihilated, manhandled by Baylor. So <laughs> I'm kind of stuck in the middle about that as much as I want to take them. I just don't know if I can do it again because I've just seen this movie a few times before and I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to go see it again with them with them at the top of my bracket. but that's a decision I'll have to make tomorrow. Um, the Zags, it'll be fascinating. Oh, and one more little tidbit that I guess doesn't really play in their favor. The last time the overall number one seed who won the national title was in 2013. That was Louisville. And in case you didn't know, the overall, you hear that term, overall number one seed, that's the team at the very top left of the bracket. So... Moving on, the field is a little bit more wide open feeling than it was last year. Um, last year, there was it's very top heavy, and it felt like there was a huge drop off from the number one seeds to the rest of the field. This year feels like there could be a lot more chaos happening across the top, you know, generally the top four seeds are the ones you take pretty seriously uh, for the titles. So last year, I pulled up some ESPN bracket stats. Uh, last year, there were 68% of the brackets who had a one seed winning the championship game compared to only 54% have a one seed winning the championship this year. Um, despite this, you know, being, or despite last year being a top heavy year, an 11 seed made it to the final four, but the title was two one seed. So that was obviously UCLA who went on the crazy run first four to final four. We'll talk about that more later. Um, you know, there's, this year, there's some teams who feel underseeded, like Tennessee is the big one. We'll discuss that more later as well. And there's a couple sleeping giants in the two slot, like Duke and Auburn, who both looked really, really good earlier in the season, and they've definitely tailed off a little bit. But we've seen what they're capable of, and we know they can beat anyone in the country if they're playing at the top of their game. So it's just it's hard. It's really hard. Um, but this this year feels like it'll probably be 
a little more chaotic looking final four than last year where we had a one, one, two, and you know, the 11, I guess that is very chaotic, but, um, it'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting. And I think people's final fours are going to be much more diverse than they were last year. We'll put it that way. So there's some notable droughts from regions and conferences. Like I was talking about, there's biases that go along with each of those things. Um, so the West coast has not won. And this is mostly PAC 12 plus Gonzaga is what I mean when I say West coast. Uh, but in a West coast team has not won the national title since 1997 when Arizona beat Kentucky and the big 10 has not won a title since 2000, which is truly hard to believe. And that was Michigan state. It's hard to believe that Michigan state hasn't won a title since then themselves, but especially when you factor in Illinois, Ohio state, Purdue, Michigan, I mean, you know, Iowa, there's been a lot of really good Wisconsin made it to the title game. Um, Big 10, you know, it's a great, great basketball conference, but they just have never been able to get over the hump since 2000. So this year, the West Coast, I would say, has a lot better chance to win it than the Big 10 because Gonzaga and Arizona are probably the two uh, best one seeds, if I had to say so right now. And Gonzaga's representing that top left, the West uh, Quadrant, and or region rather, and Arizona's representing that top right, Southern region. Um, both of those teams have a great chance to win it all. I'd say a lot more likely than any Big Ten winning, where the Big Ten does have some really good teams who could make a run. I just don't see any of them actually winning the title. They've got the number three seeds, Purdue and Wisconsin, a number four seed was uh, Illinois, and a number five seed, Iowa. Normally, the Big Ten will have a couple of teams in the top two or three seeds. I'm thinking Michigan State, especially them, but also Ohio State as of late. They were a two seed who lost in the first round to Oral Roberts last year. Uh, Michigan was a one seed last year. And this year, Michigan State's a seven, Ohio State's a seven, and Michigan is an 11. Um, so it's just, it doesn't look like they have a, any team that's really cut out. Maybe, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of these teams make it to the elite eight or even sneak in the final four, but winning the title is a whole nother story. And I don't see that happening for the big 10. So more so the thing to look at there is, you know, will the, a West coast team win it for the first time since 1997? Um, a couple more topics here. Um, there's an unusual amount of close point spreads in this first round. There are 11 games right now with the spread of three points or fewer. And this isn't even counting the two play-in games that are yet to be locked in uh, the winner. So right now I'm recording during I or Indiana versus Wyoming. Indiana's up by six with six left. And then tomorrow night, Notre Dame and Rutgers play uh, to see who plays Alabama. 
So without even accounting for those games, which will probably be pretty close point spreads, we've already got 11 this year that are three points or fewer, which is more in the first round than the last two years combined. So if you're having a hard time uh, figuring out a lot of these first round games, you're not going crazy. There's just a lot of really, really good games. So probably a good opportunity to look at some of those spreads and pick a couple underdogs that maybe you weren't thinking about otherwise. That's all I'm saying. Lastly, a couple of teams who got snubbed, um, Texas A&M. I feel bad for them. They're the big story, um, you know, of who, who didn't get invited to the dance. They had such a tremendous run in the SEC tournament and just, you know, finally couldn't get past a Tennessee team who is looking as hot as anyone in the country. I was genuinely shocked when they didn't get included in the field. Um, I think there's a couple teams you could point to uh, cough, cough, Notre Dame, where Texas A&M has a far better resume um, than the fighting or Irish and a couple other squads. But you know, now that I say that Notre Dame will probably beat Alabama in the first round. But I, I do I do feel for those in College Station because they had an absolutely epic run in the SEC tournament beating Arkansas and Auburn and you know I, <laughs> I don't know I don't know what more you could do and I think everyone would have a lot more fun watching A&M in the tournament than than Notre Dame but whatever um lastly Oklahoma was the highest Ken Palm ranked team not to make it they were ranked 30th so even though they would have had to win another game probably in the Big 12 tournament to get into the big dance they did not quite make it either So now we'll move on to national championship odds and look at the people who Vegas believes are the real contenders to hoist the trophy. All right, so we've got about 14 teams that Vegas gives at least a decent chance, in my opinion, before the odds really drop off and you get to the true long shots. So Gonzaga is the top favorite. There's no question about that. They're at plus 275. Um, For anyone listening who doesn't understand the odds, uh, plus 275 would imply if you bet $100 on Gonzaga to win the championship at plus 275, then you would profit $275. Um, The next... Closest favorite is Arizona at plus 650. So like I was saying, those two West Coast teams have the best odds to uh, hoist the trophy, um, maybe ending that drought since 1997. And then I'll run through them. Quickly after that, we've got Kentucky and Kansas at about 8-1. to one. Little drop-off to Baylor and Auburn at 12-1. to one. Villanova and Tennessee, possible Sweet 16 matchup right there at 14 to 1. Duke at 16 to 1. UCLA at 18 to 1. Purdue 20 to 1. Texas Tech 22 to 1. Iowa 22 to 1. And Houston 28 to 1. So you can see a couple clear drop offs there. Uh, To me, what I notice is Gonzaga is the favorite. Uh, And then there's kind of this group of three after them, Arizona, Kentucky, Kansas. You notice those are three one seeds and a two seed. So Kentucky is the only two seed that it has better odds to win the title than Baylor, the last one seed. And Auburn, who's also a two seed, is right there tied with Baylor. 
So Vegas really likes all of those teams, thinks they have a good chance. Um, And then you kind of have your next group of Villanova, Tennessee, Duke, UCLA, Purdue, Texas Tech. And then there's a bit of a drop after Texas Tech and Iowa to Houston. So I know I'm kind of screaming a lot of names at you and everything. But after you get to Houston at 28 to 1, then we're talking like you know, teams dropping off to 50 to one, 60 to one. And we're not going to go into all of that. So that's kind of interesting, especially with Kentucky being ahead of, uh, Baylor up there and Auburn being tied with Baylor. Um, if that tells you anything, maybe who Vegas thinks the most vulnerable one seat is, um, Let's see here. So as far as the brackets on ESPN.com go, they have some articles that'll tell you from time to time who, you know, the percentage of championship picks. And this is also something to take into account when you're making your bracket, because if you pick the overall favorite to win the championship, then you're going to have to kind of diversify otherwise, because so many people are going to pick that number one overall seed Gonzaga. Uh, to win the championship game, if they do indeed win the title, then you're going to have to have some, you know, decently risky picks of elsewhere that you get right in order to jump all of the people in your bracket league. So that's something to think about when you're picking your champion. It's <laughs> super hard. Like I said, I might have only done it once or twice actually getting the championship, the champion right and almost 20 years of making brackets. Um, but anyway, Gonzaga is the champion in 27% of ESPN brackets, which is by far the most. Arizona is the champion in 12%, Kansas, 8%, Baylor, 5%. So those are the four one seeds. Once again, ahead of Baylor, we have Duke and Kentucky at 7%. And then just below, we have Auburn and Tennessee, um, at 4%. Sorry, I got a little out of order there, but I had it numbered by seeds. So uh, in order of percentage-wise, we have Gonzaga at 27, Zona at 12, Kansas 8, Duke, Kentucky 7, Baylor 5, and then Auburn and Tennessee at 4. Before you get to the 3%, 2% where a lot of teams start getting thrown in there just because fan bases will put whoever whoever their alumni are. So um, that's it for the titles. That's kind of important, especially those bracket percentages to take into account when you are deciding who your champion is. It never hurts to divert. I mean, at the end of the day, I recommend picking who you think will win. However, if you pick the overall number one seed, you need to think about everyone else is going to be picking them too. So maybe I should you know, take a risk on a team to make it to the final four that I was on the fence about. So if indeed that did, if you think it's a toss up and it does happen, that could push you head again of, you know, everyone else who has Gonzaga to win the title. Um, Of course they have to win it. Last year I was really worried about that because I picked Gonzaga to win the national title game and I was reluctant to do so because I knew everybody else would but I was I thought they were the clear-cut best team and turned out I just remember at least in my family group where I had eight or nine relatives in there I was the only person who picked Gonzaga even though probably 30 or 40 percent of the overall ESPN brackets had them no one else in my family 
had picked them. And you can't see who everyone else picks until the first game starts, which is at, I believe, 12.15 Eastern on Thursday morning. You can't see who everyone else picks until then because the bracket the brackets lock and you can't change anything after that point. And at least in my family, everyone likes to kind of keep it secret so no one can try to snoop and steal picks is what we all say at least. But um, I was expecting at least three or four other people in my eight or nine person group to have Gonzaga. And it turned out I was the only one who picked them because everyone else was trying to, no pun intended, zag and be unique and pick someone different. So when I saw that I was the only person who picked them, I was like, I got this in the bag. However, my finance Sue ended up winning the national title game or uh, the bracket challenge, even though no one had Baylor uh, picked correctly in their bracket. So you never know that sometimes that's how it goes. Or sometimes you'll be in a 20 person group this year and 12 people will have Gonzaga. So it's, it's hard to tell. And if everyone is somewhat secretive about it, like I kind of am, then, uh, you know, there, sometimes you just start overthinking it. And at the end of the day, I would just say, pick whoever you truly think is going to win the championship, because at the end of the day, that's, that, that's just the best way to go about it. Okay, after my 50-minute uh, intro, now we will finally get into breaking down the bracket. Um, I will put a little timestamp in and tweet it, tweet that out, which I don't normally do, but this guy is going much longer than I thought. But like I said, I've been really grinding on this this week, so a lot on my mind, and I need to spit it all out before I start to go crazy. Um, so what I'm going to do here is go through region by region. I'm going to probably just call it top left, bottom left, top right, bottom right, and kind of reference who the one seed is, you know, in each region, because I can't ever remember west, south, midwest, east, whatever. Um, so I'm going to go through each region. I'm going to highlight the top four seeds in each region, just to kind of give you a feel for who the big players are. I'm going to tell you how many Ken Palm top 16 teams there are, because even though the NCAA selection committee seeds these teams, you know, they, they actually number them one through 68 on their own little pieces of paper and then chunk them off in groups of four. So even though we see four one seeds and four two seeds, there actually is a numerical order one through 68 um, or 64 for the brackets purpose once the play-in games are done. Let's see who won this Indiana game. Um, two minutes left. Indiana's still up by seven with a couple left, so it looks like they'll get in. Um, so while the selection committee has their rankings, they're obviously pretty controversial a lot of the time, and I think people like to reference Ken Palm uh, for their personal needs. So I'm going to tell you, even though you know the NCAA commis- uh, committee says there's, you know, the equal amount of top 16 teams in every single bracket. I'm going to tell you how many top 16 Ken Palm teams are in each region. So after we go through that, I'm going to talk about whatever key games I like in the first round. And then, you know, a few here and there matchups that are really intriguing uh, later in the bracket. 
and then at the end of each region, I'm going to tell you what teams I think can make it out, uh, whether or not the one seed or the two seed has the easier path, because like I kind of hinted at earlier, the path is a lot more important than the seed. So even though a one and a two seed, it doesn't seem like that big of a difference, sometimes the two seed, based on how the rest of that quadrant is laid out, sometimes the two seed might actually have an easier path to the Elite Eight or the Final Four than the one seed does. So I'm going to go over that because I think that's really important because if you're a two seed, that sounds great, but... Some two seeds have a lot easier paths to get deep in the tournament than others do, uh, just depending on who they're matched up with down the road. And that's super important, and that goes that's weighs so heavy when you're picking your bracket. So I'm going to try to shed a little bit of light on that because that's something I've really been focusing on when I've been diving into this bracket. So we're going to start with the top left West region. That is the one seed Gonzaga, the two is Duke, the three is Texas Tech, and the four is Arkansas. So this quadrant has three Kinpom top 16 teams, which is the least out of any quadrant. So that's important. That should tell you this one seed and two seed, you know, maybe they have a little bit easier path to get to the Elite Eight or the Final Four than some of the other regions, quadrants that we're going to talk about here in a minute. I'm not going to talk about like Gonzaga versus Georgia State in the first round because who cares? Um, I'm just going to hit on these first round games that I find interesting. And then, you know, whenever something comes up down the road, that could be intriguing. I'll mention that as well. So, the first game, uh, Boise State versus Memphis. This is the 8-9 game in the top left region, the West region. This is a fascinating 8-9 game. These games are always pretty, pretty good because an 8 and a 9 seed is basically the exact same thing. There's really just no difference at all. Um, Memphis is a one and a half point favorite here. Or, okay, I will say all these lines that I'm referencing, I gathered like a day and a half ago, so they could have changed significantly by now, but that's when I got them. So they might be very different if you try to look it up on <laughs> Wednesday afternoon. But Memphis has been one of the hottest teams in the country since January. Um, they got off to a really bad start, but... Boise is a very veteran, very defensively tough, great starting five team. They won the Mountain West Conference uh, tournament. And whoever wins this game, I don't think they're going to beat Gonzaga, but I think they have a damn good shot at making them sweat a little bit. So that's really all you can ask out of an 8-9 seed. Every now and then you'll see one of those teams uh, take out the number one seed they get paired up with in the second round, but I'm not willing to go there with Gonzaga. Um, we have UConn versus New Mexico State in the dreaded 5 versus 12 game for the higher seed, that is. Uh, I say that because... 
the 12 versus 5, like I mentioned earlier, that's a classic upset spot. Here, UConn is a 7-point favorite, so it's not expected to be a super close game. Um, however, you get your kind of lower tier big conference teams playing against, or not lower tier, but you know, more mid-tier uh, big conference teams playing against like the best of the best uh, you know, smaller conference teams. So New Mexico State, they gave Auburn a hell of a scare back in 2019 when Auburn ended up making the Final Four. Uh, New Mexico State played them a lot harder than Kansas or North, North Carolina did. Um, so UConn should definitely watch out. I don't think I'm going to be p- picking an upset here, but it could be a very interesting game. Uh, one that a lot of people are looking at for an upset is the four versus 13, which is Arkansas playing the Vermont Catamounts. Arkansas has been red hot since January. They have a lot of good guards. They're a very solid overall team. I like them a lot. If they, if, and this is the seed versus path thing. If they had an easier path, I would consider sending Arkansas to the final four because I think they are that good and can really play with anybody in the country. Uh, They beat Kentucky. They beat Auburn. Both of those games were at home, but still, you know, if you can beat those two teams, you can beat anybody. And they have to play Vermont, who's a 13 seed, and that might seem really low, but Vermont has only lost one game since December 7th. This is a pretty popular upset pick in this year's bracket. They're the third oldest team in college basketball and the game is in Buffalo. So they will have home court advantage. It's, you know, I looked it up. That's further than I thought from Vermont because Buffalo is so far west. My New York state geography is pretty bunk, but they'll have some fans there and they'll be making some noise. And this program has been very solid for a very good amount of years. So I don't know that I'll be able to pull the trigger for the upset, but if I had Arkansas going deep in my bracket, I would be very, very nervous for this game because Vermont very well may, may pull the upset. Uh, Now we're going to move to the bottom half of this top left quadrant um, so now we're on, on, you know, all the teams that if they won out, they would end up in the elite eight playing whoever advances out of the top half, most likely Gonzaga. And we start with my boys, the most confusing team in college basketball, the weirdest resume in college basketball, the Alabama Crimson Tide. We are a six seed falling, um, uh, from a two seed last year. It was looking like a lot of this season, we'd be a four or a five, but we've really struggled lately. This team has had all sorts of issues and they've had all sorts of triumphs. It's been a truly bizarre roller coaster season. To, to generalize things, we've beaten most of the best teams on our schedule, and we've lost to most of the worst teams on our schedule. We've got wins against the one seeds of Gonzaga and Baylor, and we have losses to teams that are not anywhere close to sniffing the tournament, such as Georgia and Missouri. Uh, you know, we were Georgia's only win in SEC conference play this year, so... This team comes and goes with its shooting. I can't say like last year because last year we had, pardon me, a defense 
that was good enough to carry us through some bad shooting performances uh, because we had Herbert Jones, God bless his soul, I miss him like nothing else, on the team, now balling out on the Pelicans. Shout out to my man. Um, but it's it's uh, this year the, the defense isn't as good, and it's, it's just the damn turnovers. It's been so bad. You really hoped that with veteran guards like Javon Quinterly and Jaden Shackelford that we could take better care of the ball, but they just they just have not have not been able to figure it out. And you know, it's it's looked great at some points this season. We started super hot uh, after we beat Gonzaga and Houston back to back, but but down the stretch of the season, there have just been some head scratching losses and some super inconsistent play. And I think that turnovers will keep Alabama from getting to the second weekend. Would it surprise me if we get there? Not totally. Although, you know, I'm looking at a most likely matchup with Texas tech. If we even make it to the second round and Texas tech has the number one defense uh, in college basketball, according to Ken Palm, So, you know, that makes me believe that Alabama will have one of its classic trademark 20-plus turnover games that it's been known for this season. So, while, uh, yeah, I think we'll get past Rutgers or Notre Dame, I guess, you know, I know that's a super popular, a lot of people like Rutgers to advance past Alabama if they can get past Notre Dame tomorrow night on Wednesday. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll pick my tie to win one, but... Texas Tech is a really daunting opponent and that's when seeding matters uh, you know because if we weren't a six seed we wouldn't have to play a great three seed like that maybe we could get matched up with a much lesser five or something if we had held our course and held on to a four seed like we were projected for a while earlier in the season but I just I you know I I would be I'd be Homer and too hard if if I really predicted Bama to get to the second weekend. But if if we get hot from three, hey, we can beat anybody. We've shown that we can. We beat you know Gabe Gonzaga one of their three losses, and that was in Washington. But uh, yeah, I'm not not super optimistic with how this team has played. So I've kind of set my expectations low. If we lose in the first round, I will be upset. But anything past that, you know, well, we, we, we've got some good recruits coming in. Should be better next year. But that's enough Bama. So moving on, uh, really interesting game. Seven versus ten lower in this bracket. Um, or in this quadrant, rather, with Michigan State playing Davidson. You know, Tom Izzo. <laughs> they say January, February, Izzo, April. Um Michigan State is not a very good team by their standards this year. I, th- I I've seen some analysis that they're a little bit overseeded. Uh, Davidson has a great offense, and you know I think they can shoot the hell out of the rock. But it's always tough going ago- going against Izzo's squad in uh, in March. And if Michigan State were to win, they'd be matched up with Duke and Coach K in the second round. And Michigan State has given them fits, like such as when Duke was the overall number one seed with Zion in 2019. Michigan, Michigan State kept them out of the final four after beating them, um, beating them in the Elite Eight. 
So kind of look back at this bracket as a whole. I'm most interested by the potential matchup between Gonzaga and, I mean, damn, UConn and Arkansas. They could both get upset. I have trouble really committing to either one losing those games because I just like both of those teams so much. Um, you know, Arkansas, because I just really like their squad. UConn, it's a little bit more of the historical bias, admittingly, but still I was willing to ride them into the second weekend if they weren't paired up with one of my other favorite teams in Arkansas. Um, but whoever comes out of there, if it is one of those four or fives playing in Zaga, that's going to be a very tough matchup. Just as Memphis or Boise could be for Gonzaga. I mean, you know, <laughs> Gonzaga does not have a super easy path for the overall number one seed, uh, whether they play Duke or Texas Tech, you know, maybe Alabama or Michigan State gets hot in the bottom half of that bracket and meets Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. I think if Gonzaga can just get through the get through that four or five seed game in the Sweet 16, then they should be cruising. Um, but, you know, a Texas Tech versus Duke Sweet 16 would be really interesting, but... Um, you know, a Michigan State Duke second round wouldn't wouldn't be too shabby either. So teams that I think can make it out of this region, I think it's the top four seeds, Gonzaga, Duke, Texas Tech, and Arkansas. And yeah, I threw Alabama in here because, you know, I mean, if we shoot hot, we've already beat Gonzaga. Hey, <laughs> Who knows, but no, nah, it's not going to happen. Um, does the one seed or the two seed have the easier path? I kind of think Duke does. I don't think they'll be able to get past Texas Tech, but Gonzaga with a sneaky hard eight or nine seed in the round of 32, and then probably Arkansas or UConn there in the Sweet 16. Those are a couple really tough games to get to the Elite Eight. I mean, I know nothing's easy in March, but... I, I, I think Gonzaga has a little bit harder path than Duke does because whoever comes out of that Michigan State-Davidson game, I would probably rather see them than Memphis or Boise. And the highest-ranked seed to be in trouble the first weekend, I think it's the Razorbacks just because the Catamounts, man, Vermont, the 13th seed, they sound very dangerous and they seem prime for an upset. And if it was a different four seed that I didn't like as much as Arkansas, I would have no reservations in sending them in to the second round. And I know a lot of people have already done it. So it'll be a, it'll be a really interesting region. I'm excited for it, especially with my team being there. But you also have some great stories in Gonzaga and Duke. So there's a, a lot going on there for sure. So we'll move on to the East region, which is highlighted. Uh, the one, two, three, four seeds are Baylor, Kentucky, Purdue, and UCLA. They have six Ken Palm top 16 teams. Remember, the last region only had three. So this is a big difference. Uh, you know, double the amount of teams that Ken Palm really values their efficiency on offense and defense. These six teams, in no specific order, I'm just going down the bracket, are Baylor, St. Mary's, UCLA, Texas, Purdue, and Kentucky. I think that's six. <laughs> yes, that is six. So 
double the amount from the first region. This is a really, really hard quadrant to predict. I've been going back and forth on a lot of different teams all week, and I still don't know what the hell I'm going to do. So starting at the top, Baylor, just to kind of touch on them real quick. I'm not going to talk about Baylor versus Norfolk State, uh, <laughs> but Baylor, they are the defending champs. Um, they are a bit banged up. They've got a path full of blue bloods. Whether the teams are really in their form like Kentucky or not, like North Carolina, there's still just a lot of star power programs in this. Their leading score is questionable for this tournament. Um, so, you know, I would check on that before sending them to your national championship game to repeat because that is hard enough as is, especially if you're a little banged up. So, um, we've got UNC versus Marquette as our first really interesting game in this quadrant. Um, UNC is the eight, Marquette the nine, UNC is a four point favorite um you know they're coming off of a big win at Duke obviously spoiling coach K's little parade and Cameron that was fun for everyone except for Duke to watch um they play Marquette who's okay I don't really love either of these teams I don't think I mean maybe North Carolina just because of the amount of you know talented recruits they bring in but I don't know if either of them will be be able to really challenge Baylor that's going to be tough St. Mary's the five seed who this is the highest seed they've ever um, acquired in program history. They will be playing. Let's see if this is a final. Yep. Indiana beat Wyoming 66 to 58. So they'll be playing the Hoosiers in that 5-12 game. Uh, UCLA Akron. I don't see that 4-13 being nearly as competitive as Arkansas Vermont. Here we go. Texas versus Virginia Tech, the 6 versus 11 game in the east bottom left quadrant. Texas has had a weird season. This is the first year that they've had head coach Chris Beard, who has an absolutely phenomenal uh, NCAA tournament record. Texas plays good D, not very good offense. Um, one of their key players left in the middle of the season, so they've just had a Kind of a strange year. Still wound up with the sixth seed. You know, sounds a lot like Alabama. Just kind of a weird season. Not really sure what to expect. Virginia Tech, who this time last week was not projected to even make this field. Um, they <laughs> raged through the ACC tournament. They are the most popular upset. And I'm not I'm not looking at eight versus you know, if a nine were to be beat an eight or even a 10 beat a seven, because all of those games, it's not really like a big upset as far as the seating goes. Six versus 11 is where you start to get to the, you know, sometimes really differences in quality of teams. Um, I can speak better to the first six eleven we discussed. Like Alabama has been solidly in the tournament all year, even with our late season struggles, whereas Notre Dame and Rutgers both just kind of barely scraped to get in. So there is a difference there, even if Vegas says otherwise, but by the seeding, you know, one team is much more um, safely in than the other. So Virginia Tech... Uh, after they swept through the ACC. Now, 52% of ESPN brackets have Virginia Tech upsetting Texas. Um, nine of the last 11 Sweet 16s have had an 11 seed. 
So I think Virginia Tech is going to be a really popular pick to not only beat Texas, but maybe even make the second weekend. Because if you listen to that stat, then it's much more likely than not that one of these 11 seeds will make it in with them being super hot right now. Getting, you know, they, have, they would have to play Purdue, assuming Purdue could beat uh, Yale, which I believe they will. They're about an 18-point favorite, so they certainly should. Um, but Virginia Tech, man, I mean, if, if, if they can continue this momentum into the first weekend of the tournament, then they could definitely get to the Sweet 16. Um, with all that being said, Chris Beard is hard to pick against, especially in the first round. Even though this Texas team is pretty uninspiring, I still haven't decided who I'm going to go with in this game. I certainly lean Virginia Tech, um, but that'll be a game time call. I I think I'm going to ride the momentum, though. But there's also something to be said. A lot of times, these super popular public underdogs, even though I should mention Texas is only a one-point favorite as of yesterday, so even though this 6-11 feels like a big upset... A one-point spread suggests otherwise. It's basically a coin flip. So a lot of times these... Un- there Every year there's two or three of these really popular public underdogs. And it's normally in the 5-12 game, although 6-11 certainly plays as well. Um, but <laughs> it's like... It's hard because obviously there's a reason that everyone likes this underdog. They've probably been trending up and the higher seed has been trending down. But then in a lot of us, especially those who dabble with the lines and stuff, it's there's a little bit of contrarian zagging that comes out in you. I remember I tried to do this a couple years ago when John Morant was playing. Now this sounds stupid. When John Morant was playing for Murray State and they were a 12 seed playing, I believe it was Creighton who was a five seed in the first round. And they Murray State had played in Tuscaloosa that year. And I saw John Morant you know, almost beat Alabama. He had like 40 points. It was a hell of a game. It's amazing Alabama didn't lose that game looking back on it. But I was really, from you know, from that moment in December on, I was like, okay, I'm going to pick Murray State to upset someone and maybe go to the Sweet 16 in my bracket because they're really impressive. And then everyone in the country, by the time March came around and the bracket was out, was picking Murray State. And a lot of times this will happen where everyone gets on the 12 seed or the 11 seed underdog and then the higher seed just comes out and kicks their ass. And it's like, oh, like maybe that's why they were the five seed or the six seed after all. And so I tried to get too cute with it and went against my gut and I picked Creighton, the five seed. Or no, it was Marquette. It was Marquette, not Creighton. And um, I knew I couldn't pick Creighton. That's 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 against my Bama instincts. For those of you who know, but uh, uh, I picked Marquette, the five seed, to beat Murray State, the twelve seed, and then Murray State won. And I felt like an idiot. I was just trying to get too cute and too fancy with it and overthink it. And it's like, hey, just you know, if you think there's going to be an upset, just pick it. So this Virginia Tech, uh, Texas game certainly has the makings of the majority of the public is on Virginia Tech, the 11th seed to upset Texas. I think I will be as well, but damn, it's hard to pick against Chris Beard in the first round. So we'll see. 
moving on to the 7-10 game in this region, Murray State, <laughs> speak of the devil, uh, is the 7th seed playing the San Francisco Dons, the 10th seed. This is one of the most interesting games in the entire first round. I cannot wait for it. It's going to be late on Thursday night. It is a 9.40 Eastern tip. I love it. Um, Still getting bed out here in the mountain time zone by 10.30 after that game. Thank you, Lord. Um, But Murray State, I mean, they're super impressive. They've got a great backcourt. They aren't terribly consistent they are vulnerable against bigger teams but they just have a lot of firepower to them and this is just you know this is kind of one of those historical teams after they I saw them and I was impressed and I got burned by them I've kind of had a bias for them and of course jaw you know being so unbelievably incredible in the NBA that kind of leaves a good taste in your mouth for the program for a few years to come um, just like Stefan Davidson who we talked about earlier but they play San Francisco they haven't made the tournament in a hot second uh it seems like they're a little bit underseeded so you know this might be a little bit of a hard draw for Murray State I think I think Murray State is the move here I haven't totally decided again I've heard a lot of really great things about San Francisco don't have too much analysis on these teams not gonna lie to y'all but I think it'll be a really interesting game and whoever wins this will play Kentucky after they presumably beat St. Peter's Um, and that could be a really really interesting round of 32 game for the Wildcats I don't think they'll lose to either of these but who Regardless of who wins this game, I think they'll give Kentucky um, a pretty good battle. So going back up to the top of this bottom left eastern region, um, let's see here. So UNC, Marquette, I don't know if they're going to give Baylor much of a good run for their money. Um, I expect UCLA to get past St. Mary's and UCLA Baylor could very well be one of the better games of the tournament. UCLA is bringing back a lot of the squad from last year. Um, they play great defense and they could give Baylor some serious problems down on the bottom half. Purdue was very close to winning the big 10. And if they did, then they might have some of that, you know, really popular recency bias conference tournament champion momentum riding behind them. Um, I, they're not a great tournament team. That's the problem with Purdue, but they do have a really, really talented squad with their starting five. They shoot the three really well, um, but they just haven't gone super deep in recent years. Last year, they lost as a four seed to the number 13 seed, North Texas, in overtime, um, and I had Purdue in my Elite Eight, so that was certainly a tough one, um, but I I think this squad, I think they can go deep, but they will run into Kentucky, presumably, in the Sweet 16, which would be another great game. So to wrap it up for the bottom left East quadrants slash region, teams that I think can make it out. Baylor, they're defending champs for a reason. They're still really talented. They're a one seed for a reason. They can still get through. Kentucky, who will probably be the most popular pick out of this quadrant. Uh, Purdue, UCLA, and I think even Murray State, just to get a little funky with it. 
you know, if they were to get past Kentucky, then who knows? I mean, with how explosive that team is, I think they, they have some serious firepower. Does the one seed or the two seed have the easier path? Once again, I think it's the two seed because Kentucky doesn't have to go through, you know, possibly UNC. I mean, who knows if they play up to their ceiling, they could be really tough for Baylor as well as UCLA. Um, I mean, I like Kentucky getting to the Elite Eight and Final Four probably a little bit more than I like Baylor. So I think the two seed once again has the easier path here. Um, And the highest ranked seed that I think could be in trouble the first weekend, St. Mary's. Well, I had pending on here, but now I know they're playing Indiana. I don't know enough about that to really commit to that. And I I, I trust the top four seeds in, in this round to at least make it to the round of 32. So I'm going to go with Texas, the number six seed against Virginia Tech, even though that's not a super interesting answer. It's it's the truth. So I think the the Hokies and Longhorns will be a very interesting one to see if the public can sniff out the now favorite underdog. And that'll do it for Baylor's bottom left eastern quadrant. Moving on to the southern region, which is the top right quadrant led by Arizona, Villanova, Tennessee, and Illinois. They have four of the Ken Palm top 16 teams, which are actually Arizona, Villanova, Tennessee, and the five-seed Houston. However, Illinois is number 17 in Ken Palm, so it's, you know, pretty much checks out. Um, So four of the top seven to eight conference champion uh, or tournament champions are in this region. So a lot of trendy teams. These are Arizona from the Pac-12, Houston from the American, Tennessee from the SEC, and Villanova from the Big East. So for anyone who likes to pick the trendy conference champions, you're going to have a lot of decisions to make in uh in this region, that's for sure. So to quickly touch on Arizona before we really dive into the matchups here, um, their coach, Tommy Lloyd, is in his first year with the Wildcats, but he was on Gonzaga's staff for a while, so he has pretty good tournament experience, even if not as a head coach. They're one of the biggest and most athletic, and as John Rothstein says, most aesthetically pleasing uh, teams in college basketball. So they are a super powerful one seed. As I discussed earlier, they're the number two overall favorite, according to Vegas, to win the title at the end of the tournament. So the first matchup that catches my eye here is the 5-12 Houston versus UAB, our Birmingham Blazers. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is kind of a, it's a tricky matchup. Houston... On the surface, like they don't have a ton of good wins. A couple of their best guys are out. They're not super deep and they don't shoot super well. However, they've got great advanced analytics, uh, being in the top 20 of Ken Palm's both offensive and defensive efficiency metrics. Uh, but they play a really, really hot UAB team who is all, they're a top 45 team on Ken Palm. They've got Jelly Walker, who kind of took the nation by storm on Twitter on Saturday. 
Friday and Saturday, uh, after scoring 40 points in his Conference USA semifinal, UAB, like they they just got a bunch of bucket getters, and they're a very explosive team who is very primed to make an upset in this tournament. Houston's a tough five seed to get matched up with just because of their athleticism and, you know, just how well-balanced and very, very solid they are on both ends of the court. I don't know that I'll have the stones to take UAB in this one, but I mean, it's not a bad shot. It's not a bad place to take a shot if you're looking for a 5-12 upset. If you just look one slot down in the region, we've got the four seed Illinois playing the 13 seed Chattanooga Mox. And this is another really intriguing matchup that, you know, on the surface, you think Illinois, great basketball school, high seed playing Chattanooga might not have much of a chance, but Chattanooga is experienced, physical, they got good guards, and they have a great possibility to pull off this upset. Illinois is about a seven-point favorite, so you know it's not the most likely thing on the bracket to happen, but Illinois has just kind of struggled all year against OK teams. Not that Chattanooga is an OK team, they're a very good team, but Illinois just hasn't clicked all year. They are very experienced, they're very boomer bust, a lot like Alabama, like I was talking about earlier. And I don't know. I mean, if if Illinois comes out and plays a good game, they're going to win. But if they are shaky, they could totally get beat. And like I said, uh, four seed has lost to a 13 in each of the last four tournaments. So this would not be a bad place to take a flyer, especially on a good old Southern team from Chattanooga, Tennessee, to upset the uh, Big Ten team who lost in the second round last year. So I don't know if they have a great tournament pedigree. Next, on the bottom half of this quadrant, we have right up the road for me in Fort Collins, Colorado, the Colorado State Rams as a sixth seed playing the Michigan Wolverines as a 11 seed. Uh, <laughs> really weird game here. This one is also just like the Texas-Virginia Tech 6-11 uh, game. This one is super hard to predict. Colorado State I mean, they've got some really good wins, but they're also super high on the luck rating on Ken Palm. They don't play good defense, but they do have really good guards, which you like to see in the tournament. Um, you know, against big teams like Michigan, they're going to have a tough time. Michigan is a two-point favorite in this game. Their defense isn't great, but, you know, with all the turbulence with Jawan Howard, sucker punching, whatever you want to call it, the Wisconsin coach, um, a few weeks ago, it's just a, it's just a weird situation. I think I lied to you earlier. Virginia Tech had 52% of the ESPN brackets taking them to upset the six seed Texas, but Michigan actually has um, 53% of the ESPN brackets uh, projecting them to upset the Rams. So I believe they are the most popular underdog if we're talking in at least a five seed differential here in the six eleven game. Um, but these, these games are very similar. So if you like one, you might like the other. I don't know what I'm doing here either. I might just have to go with my close to hometown Rams, uh, because Michigan just has a lot of weird juju coming out of that program with the Jawan Howard stuff lately <laughs> going on further. Uh, the last first-round game that's really interesting is Ohio State versus Loyola. I know I mentioned Loyola is a popular kind of recency bias team here, um, or historically recent bias with their uh, tournament runs, but 
Ohio State has just been kind of uninspiring all year. They're still super talented. If you remember last year, they lost to Oral Roberts in the first round, who is a 15 seed. So you have to imagine they have a chip on their shoulder. Loyola pulled off a big upset against Illinois in the second round, knocking off the one seed in their bracket. They still have a very experienced veteran team. So most of their squad was, you know, playing last year and have that experience of making a run in March. I think I'm going to go with them, although they are a super popular public underdog pick as Ohio State is about a two point favorite in this one. So that's, eh, you know, always a bit concerning, but I might ride the recent Loyola wave. So now recapping this region um, back from the top, Arizona. Whether they play Houston or Illinois, I'm having a really hard time. I mean, <laughs> Houston and Illinois both might lose in the first round. They are, it feels a lot like that Arkansas versus UConn 4 5 slot, where I think both teams could lose. I just don't know which one to pick for the upset. My gut tells me UAB, but I also like Chattanooga. I don't know. So. <sighs> Let's just assume it goes chalk and Illinois has to play Houston or, or, excuse me, Arizona has to play Houston or Illinois. I think that's going to be a really tough matchup for them because both of those four and five seeds are just frisky. And man, I could, I could see them losing in the first round or I could see them losing, you know, in the elite eight or going to the final four. So that's a tough one. Um, and then in the bottom half, I don't really know what's going to happen in that Ohio State Loyola game or the Colorado State Michigan game. I feel good about Tennessee and Villanova, the three and two seeds respectively, um, advancing. And that would be one hell of a Sweet 16 matchup. Tennessee, of course, won the SEC. Villanova won the Big East. And I put a lot of stock into, especially with the recent SEC, how good it's been winning both of those conference tournaments. Both of those teams are coming in really hot. Tennessee has had some conference trouble, or not conference troubles, uh, tournament troubles um, as of the past few years, whereas Villanova has been one of those teams you can really rely on. So that'll be a very, very tough Sweet 16, two versus three to pick, Um, you know. It's up to y'all. I, I, I can't offer much advice on that one. I'm just excited to hopefully see that game. Um, so, yeah, to conclude this, the teams that I can make it, I think can make it out are Arizona, Villanova, Tennessee, Illinois, and Houston. Like I said, those four or five seeds, I don't think they'll make it very far, but it wouldn't surprise me if they do. And, you know, out of the bottom half of that top right quadrant, whether it's Villanova or Tennessee, you know, be my guest and, and take your pick because I'm, I'm just not sure that'll be a tomorrow night decision. Does the one or the two seed have the easier path? Man, I think I think it's the one seed here with Arizona, although it's close. It just worries. I like Tennessee a lot with their momentum coming out of the SEC. And also that Ohio State Loyola winner is going to be a tough one. Whereas I think whoever Arizona has to play in the second round between Seton Hall and TCU, not nearly as worried about that matchup. You know, Arizona could very well have a hard time with Houston or Illinois, but it... 
both of those teams could get upset pretty easily too. Nothing, nothing would surprise me in this one. So I think it'll be, I think it'll be a really good matchup. And there's a lot of Final Four caliber teams in this, and it's it's going to be a hard one to really hash out when I sit down with my bracket tomorrow. But I think Arizona, uh, for the first time today, has the easier path over the two seed in their quadrant. Uh, the highest ranked se- ranked teams in trouble the first weekend. I've got Illinois, like we've discussed, uh, against Chattanooga, and honorable mention to the five seed Houston against the UAB Blazers. So that'll wrap it up for the Southern region, uh, led by the Arizona Wildcats, and we move on to the Midwest. So finally, we get to Kansas's quadrant in the bottom right, the Midwest. Kansas is the one, Auburn is the two, Wisconsin three, and Providence four. They have three Ken Palm top 16 teams. It's the first two seeds and then the five with Kansas, Auburn, and Iowa. So Wisconsin and Providence are not in the Ken Palm top 16. Take that as you will. To touch on Kansas quickly, uh, they are still awaiting their opponent, but in 2020, when the tournament got canceled Kansas was going to be the number one overall seed assuming things shook out how we thought they would with conference championship week uh (laughs) there are a lot of teams who I felt really bad for me myself as just an overall fan of the tournament I was devastated but Alabama was on the bubble and it was very unlikely that we would have actually made it in So, I mean, not that that made anything easier, but I guess it made it less hard. The fact that I didn't think my team had a shot to make a Final Four win the championship. Whereas a lot of other schools like Dayton and San Diego State had historic seasons. Um, And even Kansas, who, you know, we see on the one line quite often. But as the number one overall seed, you have to feel better about your chances than than other years. Like maybe, you know, maybe this year for them. But I think Kansas is still a really good squad who has a great chance at making the final four. This is a really hard quadrant slash region to dissect. I've been having a lot of trouble with it just because just the the seating is very pretty wacky in this one so we'll get into that but Kansas leads the way as the overall number one in this quadrant they're going to face the winner of the eight versus nine game which is San Diego State versus Creighton San Diego State's a two and a half point favorite Creighton made a good run in the uh, Big East tournament, kicking the crap out of Providence. I mean, they beat them by, let's see what it was, a humble 27th spot there in Madison Square Garden. Good Lord. So both of these teams have great defense. This might not be a bad game to hit the under on. It's going to be a low-scoring, slow, slow game, I believe. Um, I mean, I don't know which one I'm taking in this one. I think both will be able to put up a decent fight against Kansas, but I don't see either knocking them off. Um, In the next interesting game here, I don't think Richmond's going to give Iowa much of a fight. Iowa's coming off of their Big Ten conference tournament championship um, and they are as hot as anyone in the country we'll talk about them more a little bit later in this quadrant 
Providence versus South Dakota State. This is the four versus 13 game. So Providence, they won the Big East regular season on a technicality because they had a better winning percentage than Villanova, even though Villanova won more games. It was a weird situation, but they won the regular season. Then, like I just said, they got killed by Creighton in the tournament. Um, they are kind of the most notorious close game team this year, and they are amazing in close games. In games that have been decided by five points or less, Providence is 11-2, and two, which is kind of unheard of, um, especially in college. That's just, it's just, that's very hard to do, and... They are the luckiest team in college basketball, according to Ken Palm, because of that stat that I just referenced. So you can take this one of two ways. You can say, okay, in the tournament, you're going to have a lot of close games if you make a deep run. And it's great to have a team that is really comfortable in close games and experience and pulling it out when things get tense and tight, unlike, say, Duke, who has a bunch of young guys who, you know, we've seen evidence over the course of the season, like maybe they can't really handle it. Um, But also it's like, why are they having this many close games if they're this good of a team? So I think both arguments are fair and you're going to have to decide for yourself which one prevails over the other. Um, But the South Dakota State team, they have not lost since December. They have a very fast-paced, high-octane offense. They are number one in effective field goal and three-point shooting percentage on Ken Palm. So... Providence better be comfortable in having one more close game that they can pull out because I feel like it's almost certainly going to be a close game. And Vegas does too because Providence is only a one and a half point favorite over the South Dakota State Jackrabbits. And even though this is a four verse 13, if you didn't know any better, just obviously take Providence and don't think twice about it. But South Dakota State, they're going to be a very popular public upset. And I think they will be advancing on your boys bracket as well. Now, moving on to the bottom half of this bottom right quadrant. (laughs) This is probably the hardest little half of a quadrant that I've tried to dissect uh, from the whole field. This is headlined by the two-seed Auburn, who for a while this year looked like the number one overall seed in the country until they started spilling games left and right anytime they left the town of Auburn. In February and March, they got bounced by A&M pretty promptly in the first round that they played in the SEC tournament, although they've got the most likely overall number one pick in Jabari Smith. Wisconsin, who has had a surprisingly good season led by Johnny Davis, who is now hobbling around on an ankle injury. I'm not sure how he's going to be. I have a couple of Wisconsin co-worker teammates who I am really trying to uh, decipher some inside info out of. If I can get that tomorrow, hopefully that will help me a lot picking this little bottom half of this region. Uh, But I still don't know because for as much as as much success as they've had and they had a share of the big 10 regular season title. They just are not a great analytical team, although they are very experienced and very disciplined and a a team that you could, you know, feel comfortable with sending to the second weekend of the tournament, no doubt. 
Then you have LSU, the sixth seed, who just fired their coach. So really, who the hell knows? I don't. LSU will go through the games now. LSU will play Iowa State in the 6-11 game. LSU is a five-point favorite. I mean, you know, they've got a bunch of dudes. Like, they're a really good team. Will Wade... (laughs) I won't go on that whole tangent right now. It's too late. Too late in the podcast for certain. But um, I I just don't know. I, I, I think LSU will be okay, at least for the first round without him. Although I just don't... I, I don't know how this group of, you know, 19 and 20 year olds is going to react to their coach being fired in between the SEC, SEC and NCAA tournament. Iowa State... They finished four games under 500 in their conference. Really, really strange stat here. Probably the weirdest one I'm going to say all night. So Iowa State finished four games under 500 in the Big 12, right? This has only happened four other times in the NCAA tournament history for an at-large bid team. Strangely, all four of those teams won their first round game. So while I wouldn't really be inclined to take Iowa State if things were more normal, this stat (laughs) puts a weird hunch in me. Plus, with Will Wade just getting fired, I don't know if LSU's team's been partying in Gulf Shores all week, you know, with no supervision or whatever. I don't know what the hell is going to happen. I mean, LSU's the better team, but they don't have a freaking coach, so I don't know. Moving on. Wisconsin versus Colgate. Wisconsin's the three. Colgate is the 14. The, Wisconsin, I, I don't know how to feel until I know how Johnny Davis's ankle is, but unfortunately, we're probably not going to figure that out until after it's too late when your brackets have to be submitted. <laughs> Wisconsin plays the last game on Friday night, so they're probably not going to say diddly squat until that game tips off. They've got three good guards, a very smart team, overachievers, like I said, they are analytically concerning, not a ton of like raw talent, but they're very well disciplined. And they just feel like a team that could, you know, especially in this weird lower half of this quadrant could make a run. Here's the big thing for me. <clears throat> Their first and second round will be played in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in the Bucks Arena. So it's going to be just absolutely nuts in there, you know, when they play Colgate and then the winner of this LSU-Iowa State game. It's going to be a home game for Wisconsin. So they're going to have the total home court advantage. Then they play if they can get through the first weekend, which I will say a Wisconsin-LSU matchup would be very intriguing and I would hesitate to just send the Badgers through blindly even with the LSU coaching situation because I just don't know if they did make it through to the Sweet 16 with a potential uh, matchup with Auburn then they play in Chicago which is like two hours from Milwaukee so (laughs) they're gonna have a serious serious home field or home court advantage and if I know anything from working with a couple Wisconsin guys for the past couple years is that they're going to bring the noise and that will be a great environment for the Badgers and a really bad environment for everybody else. Even when it's in Chicago, I know if Auburn makes it, they're going to have a good bit of people up there traveling to go to the games and a city that big, you know, every, every big school has a big alumni base, but you know, that's, that's 
that's like Auburn playing in Atlanta, prob- you know, practically. So we'll get to more of that matchup in a minute. USC versus Miami. That's the 7 versus 10 game. USC is a one-and-a-half point favorite. USC is another really weird team. They've got a lot of really good size and talent. Evan Moby's little brother is on this squad. <sighs> I've been going back and forth on this one all week. Uh, Miami had a pretty good showing in the ACC tournament. Their experience, they've got three really good guards, which I love to see in a tournament setting. And, uh, you know, two of these guards are uh, six-year seniors who took advantage of the COVID rule and everything, who are freshmen in 2016. Um, I think both of these teams are a little bit over overrated. I really don't know who's going to win. Whoever does could present a pretty interesting challenge to Auburn, I think, in the second round. Um, but going on to that one, Auburn versus Jacksonville State should be a really interesting 2 versus 15 game. Uh, Reese Davis said on the ESPN like bracket you know, selection show, whatever. Why can't we just play this game in Gadsden? Because these schools are like two hours apart and we're playing this game. South Carolina, um, Auburn's, (laughs) they started out so, so, so good. And I think they started 22 and one, but they've lost four of their last nine games. and have been really fading down the stretch. And now a quick surprise interview from Auburn family member and my girlfriend, Maya McDonald's. So I got Maya here, um, proud Auburn family daughter. And so I was just saying Auburn got off to like a 22-1 and start, looking like the number one team in the country. They were ranked number one for a while and then lost four of the last nine. So been on a bit of a slide, but we all know when they play at their ceiling, they can beat anyone in the nation. Um you know, around the time that they got to this 22-1 and record and achieved the number one ranking in the AP poll, a lot of the Auburn family was saying, like, hey, like, we need to slow down and, like, lose a couple games and not, like, peak too early. So I'm just wondering if losing four out of the last nine, was that sufficient, not enough, too much? Like, how are you feeling now rolling into March who are all of these people who have been saying that Auburn needs to win or lose, my bad, a whole bunch of games to even things out? Just curious. Well, just a lot of people on the internet, you know, and 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 and, and you, 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 you did say Auburn needs to lose like a couple, right? I said like one. I said like one game. Right while we were on our winning streak for the SEC regular season. And, I mean, I feel like that's fair considering you can't just win out the entire regular season. Well, I feel like saying losing, winning one game or two games is fair when you've been absolutely everybody in SEC play that far you know, you're not going to win literally every single game for the entire season and then win the SEC tournament and then also win March Madness. Like, that's ridiculous. So winning a couple of games is fine. But going on a, like, losing streak, how the barn's been doing is not fine. Yeah, I mean, we all know you're not Indiana, but... um 
don't know. All I've all I've heard and seen and believed all year is how Auburn is the best team in the country, and frankly, maybe ever. So in my opinion, if Auburn doesn't win the national championship, it's a huge disappointment that all the fans should be really ashamed of. What do you think about that? A massive disappointment. And there you have it. It's championship or bust for the Auburn Tigers. However, uh, they play at Jacksonville State, who is a bit of a Mickey Mouse invitee into the tournament. Um, they won their regular season conference uh, championship, but not the tournament. And normally that wouldn't be enough to get them into the big dance. But Bellamere, the school that won the conference tournament, was just now joining Division One, which for some reason left them ineligible to make the NCAA tournament. So by default, Jacksonville State, the regular season champion, uh, made it. They can shoot the rock by uh, from three. They lost to Alabama by only six points back very early in the season. But I don't think Auburn will have much of a problem with the Jacksonville State Gamecocks. Although, uh, shout out to those of you who have seen a lot of high school girls basketball games in that gym. My man, Ethan Piles, I know, knows what's up as we saw the Huntsville High School ladies take down a bunch of great teams in that setting. So looking back at the Midwest region as a whole, um, Kansas versus Iowa looks like the most likely uh, Sweet 16 matchup here with how hot Iowa's been and with them being such a public favorite kind of sleeper team to make the Final Four. That could be a very, very interesting matchup. They have Keegan Murray, who's easily one of the best players in college basketball. I will say their coach has never made the Sweet 16, so a little bit of caution here, even though they're such a popular favorite. 10-point favorite over uh, Richmond there in the 5-12 game in the first round, coming in hot off of the Big Ten Tournament Championship. But, uh, you know, their, their offense is, is really fire, and it, it, it could carry them deep, deep into this tournament. So I think Kansas versus Iowa is very interesting. Of course, this Providence, South Dakota State. Maybe the Jackrabbits get hot and bust some brackets and get into the Sweet 16 themselves to see the Jayhawks. And then the bottom half of this region, man, like I've been saying, I just have no clue. I could see LSU making a run. I could see Wisconsin making a run. I could see USC, Miami, Auburn making a run. Who knows? Maybe the Jacksonville State Gamecocks will do it. Just kidding. Trying to mess with you Auburn folks who actually made it this long to listen to the podcast. I've gone almost two hours now, so we're going to wrap this guy up to finish off this region. Um, the teams that I think can make it out are Kansas, Auburn, Wisconsin, and Iowa. They are the one, two, three, and five seeds, uh, respectively. Does the one or two seed have the easier path? I think it's definitely Auburn because of all the reasons I've already discussed. Um, the highest ranked seed that is in trouble the first weekend. Wisconsin, man. This Colgate team, the 14 seed. As I've said, it's upset the three the past four years. Colgate almost beat Arkansas last year, and they've got almost their entire team back from that squad that nearly upset the Razorbacks. So I think that's a very intriguing uh, matchup. If you want to get really frisky with your bracket, you could take the Colgate toothpaste to upset the Wisconsin Badgers there. I don't think I'll be doing so, but it will be a game where I'll be looking at that point spread, maybe that plus eight with the toothpaste. 
Um, and that's it for that. Uh, just to really wrap things up here, I've got the schedule. So the final four is happening tonight on Tuesday. Let's see here who won. I know Indiana won tonight as well as the 16 seed, Texas Southern, who will go on to play Kansas tomorrow night. You're tonight on Wednesday. We have the 16 seeds facing off Bryant versus Wright State who will battle to play Arizona in the 116 game in the top right quadrant. And then Notre Dame versus Rutgers, which I will be watching closely as I make my bracket because the winner of that game will play my Alabama Crimson Tide in the 611 game in the top left quadrant. So that's all we've got for the first four. Just a reminder because last year was wonky and weird. Um... This year, we are back to the normal March Madness schedule where we have games from Thursday to Sunday. If you remember last year, we had it Friday to Monday, which I really liked having only one day of the first round on a Friday last year. Uh, That was nice, so I didn't have to do it both Thursday and Friday during work, which I'm about to have to experience for the first time in the office. Woohoo! Uh, This was always over spring break in college, so I enjoyed that, not having any class or obligations um, during uh, the first round of March Madness. But having the the second day of the second round on a Monday when I was back at work was pretty weird, pretty, pretty weird. And the Elite Eight didn't really matter on that Monday uh, because there were only a couple games. They put them both at night, obviously, and they got good ratings last year, I know, probably because everyone was still kind of locked inside with nothing else to do. But, um, yeah, this year we're back to the normal Thursday to Sunday schedule. So we'll be kicking things off at about noon 15 Eastern time on Thursday morning, going all the way to Sunday night through the second round, have a few off days, and then come back uh, for Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. And then, of course, the Final Four is always on the next Saturday, and then championship game on a Monday, just like football, for reasons I still don't understand. However, I digress. So that'll do it for the March Madness pod. To anyone who listened to this whole thing, sincerely thank you. I did not plan on going two hours, but I guess that's what 11 pages of notes will do to you. Um, Hummus tailgate going forward. I will be offline for a few months. Um, Still monitoring the Twitter and Instagram and stuff very lightly, but not any podcast coming out until likely July, probably after the 4th or so. We'll start getting into some uh, preview episodes for the 2022 college football season. Um, I'm going to probably do like a preview episode pretty briefly for each of the power five conferences and maybe do well, I might do like I got some fun questions from Kayshawn my guy big Buckeye uh, a few days ago just asking about some general college football topics and stuff so if anybody has any like mailbag type of questions just send them in to me maybe I could do an episode in May or something to break up the gap a little bit it's been a lot of fun kind of getting back in front of the microphone i've really enjoyed it so once again thank you to everybody who listened i'll be back really kind of kicking it back into the gear in late july early august we'll get things ramping up for the 2022 season i cannot wait anybody who has suggestions ideas uh, questions, comments, concerns, anything for the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I am open to any and all feedback, positive or negative. So I would uh, appreciate 
appreciate anything. But thank you guys for listening along. Everybody have a super enjoyable and safe St. Patrick's Day on Thursday. Hey, just as the good Lord intended it, St. Patrick's Day on the first day of the first round of March Madness. It doesn't get any better than that. Uh, man, I can't wait. It's 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 my favorite time of the year outside of some great college college football weekends and. Uh, I just, I I can't wait. So join the Hummus Tailgate Party ESPN Tournament Challenge bracket on ESPN.com. Once again, it's free. Uh, Prize to the winner. No password or anything. Share it to your friends, whatever. And uh, share the podcast, please. I appreciate it. Give me some feedback. And good luck, but not too much because I'm going to beat you all. Bye.